Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We're in Revelation chapter 17 this morning, and uh, Revelation chapter 17, and rather than uh, do the Catholic thing where you stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down, well, I'll just have you sit there, and I'll read the scriptures to you this morning. We're going to read Revelation chapter 17, and we're just going to read the first couple verses, and then we'll dive into our study this morning. So Revelation chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Um, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray, Lord, that you help us to to just glean what it is that you desire for us to glean from this passage, Lord. As we consider the days we live in, Father, that you would remove any fear from our hearts, that we would be steadfast knowing who is in control. And we ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom on what you're calling us to do in these last moments through this passage as we consider where we're going directionally and where, uh, you know, the, the collective religion of the world will end up. So we ask you, Lord, to just draw us close to you. We pray for your spirit to teach us now in Jesus' name, amen. So we are coming closer and closer to an end of the book of Revelation, and really, it just keeps getting more exciting and more exciting because, uh, you know, we're in chapter 17, 18, 19. We're going to look at, uh, really, collectively, the fall of Babylon. And uh, this, this really kind of leads us into uh, you know, the end of the fall of Babylon and then Jesus comes back and, and then we set up the, 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 then the millennial kingdom is set up and we, uh, Jesus rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years and then while Satan is bound and then guess what happens? Satan is loose one more time, woos the world. Somehow these people who have walked with Christ on earth, so don't think for a second, you're, you wonder like, hey, I wonder if I was one of the disciples, if I would have I done better. People will walk with Christ on earth for a thousand years and they will be swayed and they will abandon Christ to follow the devil. So, you know, that will happen at the end of the thousand year reign and then Jesus will cast, you know, Satan into the lake of fire and all who followed him, who rejected the gospel and then he'll create a new heavens and a new earth and we will live with him forever and ever, amen. That's, what, that's the synopsis of what we're gonna be going through in the next several weeks but we're in chapters 17 18 and 19, where we're going to consider the rise and fall of Babylon in three specific ways. Chapter 17, we're going to look at uh, the rise and fall of the spiritual, uh, the religious Babylon. In chapter 18, we're going to look at the economic Babylon and the rise and fall of that. And then in chapter 19, the political Babylon, the rise and fall of that. So really, uh, you know, uh, chronologically, 
we just ended in chapter 16, really, chronologically, the way this works is it would go directly to 19, chapter 19. Chapters 17 and 18 are parenthetical. What, what the Lord is doing is drilling down on specific details relating to how the, how the religious, one world religion uh, was, was how it rose up and how it became to be, uh, and then how it would fall. That's what we see in chapter 17. So what God does is he draws us back to the beginning of the tribulation period here in chapter 17, and he reveals some details about a, a religious Babylon, right? And then chapter 18, he does the same thing, but it's specific to the economy, to the one world economy and all these kinds of things. And then uh, chapter 19, obviously, is the political side of it, where it will actually fall physically. You know, all the, the rulers will be... The, the, the Antichrist will be removed and uh, Jesus will come and rule and reign forever. So that's how that kind of fits. Now, what's interesting about that is we're seeing Babylon being set up right now. I don't know if you're aware of that. It, it's called the Great Reset. That's, that is what it is. If you're, if you're familiar with the term but you don't know necessarily what it means, it's the adoption of spiritual, economical, and political Babylon. That's exactly what it is. And it's ran by the elitists of our world today. We have the World Economic Forum. It's talking about the money problems that we have in the world and how it would just be better if we all came together economically and, and, and all of that, you know, um, and for their benefit, by the way. Uh, and then uh, you have the, the, you know, the political side of it, which you hear a lot about, you know, we need a, we need a one world government. And if we could just get um, all the leaders around a campfire and sing Kumbaya, the world would be better, you know. And uh, so, and that's, 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 that's starting to transpire. Things are happening, right? So, but one of the things, so, so those two things are pretty familiar. People are speaking about those things from, from lectors, you know, they're, they're using the phrases one world government, they're using the phrases one world uh, currency, all of these kinds of things are, are happening. What you don't hear too much of is a one world religion, right? You, you don't hear too much of that, but do you know that is actually happening right now? Like that's being built. Like there is a place that they're building a, a hub for a one world religion. Uh, anybody in here familiar with the Abrahamic family house? Anybody know what that is? Yeah, so the Abrahamic family house is in Abu Dhabi and what it is, it's a center where they're building sort of this, this Unitarian kind of feel of a one world religion where you have, you have the Muslims, you have the, the Catholic Church, which represents Christianity, and then you have, uh, and then you have a mosque, or I mean a, a synagogue. So these three are the world religions uh, that, are, that are going here today. So, so you know, kind of contrary to maybe what I was thinking when I was coming into this passage, studying it, you know, hadn't looked at the details of it for a long time, thinking like, oh yeah, the Antichrist is going to usher in this one world religion and stuff. Actually, I think what, the, after studying this passage, I think What's happening is for the first three and a half years, you have more of a Unitarian one world religion where it's kind of like, hey, we all worship the one God and people say that. Hey, it's all the same God anyway, so let's just all worship that God. Um, and, and there's a reason for that is because at the end of this, the, the great prostitute who's represented in chapter 17 as the religious system of Babylon it says that the, the, um, the kings, the 10, the ten uh, nations, the confederacy of 10 nations that will come together and rule with the Antichrist in the end, they and the Antichrist come against the prostitute. That is the religious system of the day. And so, you know, it's because 
It's a progressive transition in the tribulation period. The first three and a half years is more them just getting used to the idea of everybody coming to the same place and being okay with doing the same thing. It's conditioning. And uh, so to think that we're just gonna go uh, just a hard, you know, from free, freedom of religion to this, just this one thing, that's not gonna happen. I think it'll be progressive. And it, I think it's in the chapter, actually, and I'll show you why. But, but um, so, you know, but three and a half years into it, we know there's a distinct change that happens. The Antichrist, who has made this uh, world peace agreement with the, with the Jews for one week, which is seven years, a biblical years, so uh, we know three and a half years into it, he cuts that. He cuts the ties with that. So the Jews are free to, you know, this makes sense because the Jews are free to worship for the first three and a half years the way they worship. But it's kind of going to be in, in, in light of everybody just saying, hey, well, it's all the same God anyway. Don't you hear that in our world today? People are saying that. You know who the, you know who the people, the problem people are, right? The ones not saying that is us. We're the problem. So if we would just get out of the way, then that would be great because then the world can just go forward and do whatever it wants to do. And that's exactly what will happen. You and I will be removed from the world and then all of this will transpire. But back to the Abraham fab family, um, family religion thing, what a family house, the Abrahamic family house, um, you know, this thing is, it, it's a coalition of religious leaders. You have the Pope, he's involved in it. The, actually, the Pope and uh, the uh, Sunni Muslim leader, Sheikh Ahim El Taheb, after, uh, both signed a global peace covenant called the Document of human fraternity, of world peace. Sorry about that. The, the document of hu human fraternity for world peace. You want to look that up and read it. You want to look that up and, and read the kind of language that the Pope is using. The kind of things that he's saying is very Unitarian, um, you know, very much, well, we're all one, you know, we worship the same God and all of these kinds of things. Don't hear me say that there, there are no Catholics that are saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the leader of that, that religion is, there's a political agenda involved in that. There always has been. And so, you know, the Vatican and all of that is, is a there's, a, there's a political association there, obviously. It's more than just about God when it comes to that. There are certainly people that are, I have a, an aunt that's a born-again uh, believer that's a Catholic. Listen, I don't know if you've ever looked at the, uh, the charismatic Catholic movement that went through in the 70s, but God did an amazing work through that. I'm not here to stand up for the Catholic Church. I'm just telling you that the things that are, ha that are happening, um, the Pope is involved in. And he's saying these kinds of things. So you want to keep your antennas up when you read about, you know, the Pope and the Muslims and, and the Jews all coming together f for the purpose of what? Peace. That's what they want. Again, who's holding peace back for them? We are. You and I are because we're saying, no, that's not right. And we're calling these things out. That's why when Paul talks about the, great, the, about the restrainer, being taken out of the world so that the world can, so that the Antichrist can rise up and do all of these sorts of things, that's the reason. And so, you know, we're seeing all of these, for, all these things formulate right now. They're happening. And the one that we don't hear too much about is a one world religion. You know, we're, we're I don't know if you guys paid too much attention to that, but, you know, only a few people knew about this, but this has been going on. They started building 
They were 20% done June 21st of 2021, 20% done with the build. They're scheduled to open up this year sometime. You know, and, and so this will be the start of it. And again, it's progressive, isn't it? That's what they do, that's what they do with us. They, they, they inject a thought and then we, we become numb to that and then, they, then it's just adopted. And then we're just like, oh yeah, well that, that's been going on forever, you know, like, like it's no big deal. Um, so there's a, there's a whole agenda going on and, um, and this whole world, one world religion will lead to a spiritual Babylon. It will lead to a, a, a false religious system in the tribulation period that um, everybody will be a part of except for those who stand with Christ. So that will happen. That, that's gonna be happening. And really that's what we're looking at in chapter 17. It's really the establishment of this, this one world religion and things. And then, um, you know, like I said, halfway through the tribulation period, this, this spiritual Babylon collapses and then it becomes a, a worship of the beast in his image. So it transitions to, to that. And, and we know that's happening because we saw that as we were going through Revelation chapter 12 through chapter 16. We saw the establishment of the mark of the beast. We saw when it was, about halfway through the tribulation period, and all of those sorts of things. So we can connect the dots here. Um, you know, in light of this whole Abrahamic uh, family house thing, it's, it's interesting, they're not quite there yet in terms of unity because the, the you know, in, in Abu Dhabi, it's illegal to talk about Christ. The Christian church that's being built there can't even have a cross on the outside because it's illegal. And, uh, and by the way, the, the, the head sheik there, um, the, the Muslim sheik there, uh, actually thinks that if any Muslim converts to Christianity, he should be killed. That's not very tolerant, I don't think. But, the, but it's, it's, it's this tolerant intolerance, right? It's the intolerant intolerance. And this is the kind of thinking that, that we see all in our world today, in our country. This tolerant intolerance. We're tolerant of the agenda we have, but we're intolerant of anybody who stands in opposition of it. I.e., we're intolerant of biblical Christianity. And I say biblical Christianity because you can't say Christianity anymore. Because Christianity, the, the term, includes all kinds of people who don't stand for Christ. You know, biblical Christianity is a person who actually reads the Bible and says, I believe what this says. And I don't try and find outs in it. You know, I, I really am, take, the, take the Bible literally unless it doesn't make sense. You know, and, and so we have so many churches going off the rails and adopting things that are not biblical, but it's under the label of Christianity. And so, you know, the term is evangelical, but we can't even use that term anymore. I think we gotta just stick to biblical follower of Jesus, a biblical follower of Jesus or something. But, but these are the kind of, this is the kind of mindset that's going on in our culture today. And, and that will ultimately make its way into a, a religious system that will materialize and people will follow. So um, chapter 17 is, is really divided into three sections, I think. I've divided into three different points. We find the expose of the great prostitute. We find the explanation of the great prostitute. And finally, the eradication of the great prostitute. We're gonna begin with the expose of the great prostitute in verse one, where it says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls 
came and said to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away into the uh, spirit, in the spirit, into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a, a, a golden cup full of abominations, the impurities of, a, of her sexual morality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Then go to verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitutes are seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So John is, God gives John the expose of the false religious system that is going to exist in the tribulation period. It's called, uh, it's titled the great prostitute here. Or some of your versions might say the harlot or, you know, um, those kind of things. You know, the whore or whatever. I mean, you know, that's not, that's a very derogatory term, but it's in the Bible. Because God wants us to understand the abominableness of what's going on in, in a culture when he talks about, you know, uh, the book of Hosea. And he's talking about how Hosea is basically like, like uh, or the, the nation of Israel is like a prostitute. They're just, they've, they've fallen headlong into adultery and spiritual adultery and all these kinds of things. The Bible is very graphic when it comes to these sorts of things. And really, he's saying that this religious system of, this, of the, of the um, tribulation period is going to be a great prostitute. She's going to lure people in, and, and people are going to come directly into it. Um, this uh, chapter 17, again, brings us back to the beginning of the, uh, of the tribulation period when the system is established through a revived ancient, uh, the revived ancient city of Babylon. Uh, and it's important to note, like, well, before we even dive into this, where where does false religion come from? There's only one place in the Bible that false religion comes from, and, and, it, and it comes from the place called Babel, which is Babylon. And actually, the ruler of Babel, you recall Genesis chapter 10, is Nimrod. Nimrod was the great-great-grandson of Noah. And so we have really the great-great-grandson of Noah, <laughs> two generations from seeing you know, all that he experienced, right, and, 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 and told about. Like he's probably alive when his great-great-grandson was born and he, he, he I don't know if, he, if they met or whatever, but here's the thing. Those stories he, he heard. And, and here's a guy that, his, his name Nimrod literally means to rebel. To rebel. The establishment of, of Nimrod and, and all, of his, all of his kingdoms, Genesis chapter 10 verses eight through 10 gives us that account. Cush fathered Nimrod he was first, the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, which is ancient Babylon. Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar is Mesopotamia, also known as Babylonia. Uh, he established that's the land he lived in. From the land, he went to Assyria, and he built Nineveh and Rehoboth 
Ur, Kelah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kelah, and that is the great city. Don't you love these names in the Old Testament? It's, it's, it's fun to read them. You should, this is great reading for your kids. If uh, you, uh, you know anything about the Old Testament and, and some of the names that are littered in there, you know that these people were, were the, the uh, enemies of Israel. They stood against the Lord. Why? Because the father of their nations stood against the Lord, Nimrod. You might think like, yeah, but doesn't it say he's a mighty hunter before the Lord? That word before there is really a horrible translation. It really should be stood in the face of the Lord. He, really, it means that he was, he, was, um, he was in opposition of the Lord. Like he stood against God. He literally sought out people who followed God to kill them and, and these kinds of things. He was that kind of a hunter. He was not a good guy. Um, and, and what we know is that uh, and that could be for a lot of different reasons, you know. Uh, I, number one reason, I think, is probably because of his name. He probably got picked on as a kid. And, I mean, this is not on a list, moms, hopefully. Uh, like, top, top five lists to name your boys, Nimrod, number one. No, not a good name. But, but Nimrod actually built the Tower of Babel which was a ziggurat, it was a pyramid-shaped structure that had stairs that would wind up to the top of, of, of the structure where there was an observatory. What do you think they were observing? The, the sun, the moon, the stars, why? Because they were worshiping them. The point of the Tower of Babel was to get closer to the heavens to worship the stars and the moon. This is where the zodiac came from. This is where constellation worship came from. This is where, you know, the, the, all of the, all of the uh, idol worship that you find in the Old Testament, this is where it came from. And in fact, all, you know, again, you, you drive around and you see psychics with, you know, palm readers and all these kinds of things. It all came from right here. It all came from Genesis 10. And, 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 you know, that, and by the way, you know, that's why uh, we don't read our horoscopes. That's why we don't play into that. I know some people think it's like innocent or whatever, but seriously, it's like, it's, there's no difference between pulling a paper open, oh, and, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of reading that when I, you know, beforehand, but, because I really want to know what was happening. None of it ever happened, but, uh, <laughs> but, but the reality of it is it's no different than pulling up to a psychic and asking them to tell you, to read your palm or to tell you things about yourself or whatever, that's really no different. It, it actually comes from the same place. It's all witchcraft. And, and so we need to understand those things. You know, um, where these things come from, uh, you know, is important to us. Again, uh, between you and the Lord, but that, you need to understand the genesis of it. This ziggurat stood some 700 feet high. 700 feet high, they built this in, you know, I mean, I don't know how they even had the ability to build these things. This is, the, this is somewhere in between the Empire State Building and the, the Washington Monument. It's about halfway, you know, the Empire State Building is 1,250 uh, feet high, and then the Washington Monument is about 550. These, these were about 700 feet. This is towering up, you know, up in the air to worship the stars and all of those kinds of things. So, um, you know, that's, that's the start of it, but then, then it gets worse. So, so Nimrod, when he dies, he, legend says, became the god Baal. So you've heard of Baal, right? So Baal, really, ultimately, if you want to get back to the genesis of that, 
is Nimrod, who was to become the sun god. He died. He's the establishment of, the, of worshiping the sun, the moon, all those sorts of things. When he died, they said he became the sun god, so he's Baal. His wife, uh, whom, he, whom he married, her name was Sumaramas, uh, and Sumaramas actually um, was, uh, was considered a, a, a god as well because legend has it that she, she miraculously conceived their son, Tammuz, you know, so she had a virgin birth. You know, she miraculously conceived this child who was also then a demigod. And, uh, and, and what was interesting is in that culture, this is the genesis of mother-son worship. W- what is mother-son worship? Actually, you can follow it all the way through the Bible to current day where we have the Catholic Church where, we wor- where they worship Mary and Jesus. And they worship Mary. It's this mother-son combo. It, it's drawn back all the way to Genesis chapter 10 where you have this, this idea happening. You know, Jeremiah um, recalls, uh, Sumeramus is called in, in the book of Jeremiah multiple times uh, the queen of heaven, the queen of the heavens. So she's considered a deity in that day. And he calls her out. And then Ezekiel actually mentioned Tammuz. Tammuz, how does he become a god? Supposedly, he was gored by some sort of a wild animal, and he resurrected from the dead. You ever heard of that one before? The sun rising from the dead? I mean, this is all a picture of Jesus, if you think about it, and it's all false. And so, you know, the whole concept of this will, 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 will sweep its way into this tribulation period and that, all of that idea. But if you go back and you read through the whole Old Testament, you're going to find... Uh, that all of idolatry, all of the worship that's going on there um, will come back to, uh, you know, to, to Nimrod, to Suramalmas, and to Tammuz. So uh, it's interesting. Now, fast forward to modern-day Babylon, which is in Iraq, 55 miles south of Baghdad. That's the original site. Saddam Hussein thinks he's the incarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. He starts to build in the 80s, he starts to build Babylon. Little does he know that he's building it for the US troops will make that their station and, and, and then deploy from there into Iraq. But anyway, what he started will be finished. What he started will be finished. Some people think Babylon in, in the book of Revelation is symbolic, I don't think so. I think it's a legitimate place. I think it's a real place. It's the center of evil in the world. It will be the, the, the sort of the epicenter of the false religion, the Antichrist, all of those sorts of things. All of that will happen because the Antichrist has set up his headquarters somewhere and he's not gonna set his headquarters up initially in Jerusalem because they're worshiping there for the first three and a half years. You know, eventually he may do that, but, but, but there has to be a place where he sets up. It will be a physical Babylon, I think. It doesn't really matter, but I, I think it is. And uh, so, so what's interesting also, when, when uh, the, the Iraqis built their first nuclear uh, reactor, you know what they named them? Tammuz. Tammuz. Where does that come from? Nimrod. It's so interesting that all of this is tied together. The, these, the, the, the history of the Bible you know, is continuing to be lived out in these other cultures, you know. In America, we, when you go to Israel, listen, 
and you walk into a shop that's been owned by somebody's family for hundreds of years. You know, we, we were talking to one of, the, um, one of the Bedouins that had a little shop in the Jewish quarters or whatever in, uh, in Jerusalem when we were there. And we said, how, lo- how long have you owned this? And, and you know, there, Jerusalem has been built upon, built upon, built upon. So the original Jerusalem is down, you know, 14 stories or so. And, uh, you know, he, this guy says, yeah, our family has owned this store for like 500 years. 500 years, the history, and my point is that the, the history is, uh, is rich and when you go and they know the Bible stories and they know the history of their people and all of these kinds of things and they're still living these things out. So Babylon, the, the resurgence of a real Babylon is, is really the heart of Iraq and that will happen. It's gonna happen one day. But what happened to Tammuz is, is uh, the Israelis came in and the, and they 81 and, and nuked and, and bombed it, airstrike, and killed Tammuz. So I guess uh, he didn't resurrect again. But uh, So that, that's really what's going on. So, you know, that's, that's the genesis of all of this. Where will all this come from? It all comes from Genesis chapter 10, and it'll just keep going. It's never going to stop. John, notice, is now invited by this angel to come in and he's going to be shown the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. The idea is that when this system arises, this religious system, it's, it's going to be intoxicating to the people. What do the people want? What do people want? What is the world screaming for today? Peace, unity. That's what we want. But as long as it's my way. That, that's the kind of peace and unity I want. And they'll get it eventually. This system will rise up and the world will be drunk over it. Over like, oh yes, this is what we've been longing for. We've always wanted a system like this. And, uh, and they'll be lured in into the seduced by this great prostitute in the tribulation period. Notice it says that this will be a global thing. Um, it tells us here in verse three that she sat that the great prostitute sat on many waters, and then verse 15 tells us what the many waters are. It's nations. It's peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So this will be a worldwide adoption. Like, you know, everybody in the world will be on board except for people who are standing for Christ during this time. And that's why they'll die. The world will not put up with anybody coming against these systems, folks. And so, you know, you're gonna... Christians are going to be underground and they're going to be trying to maneuver and work through things and it's not going to be fun. So if you're you're not in the right relationship with Christ, you should do that now so you don't have to experience that. But I I know I'm not going to be here. So, um, but, 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 but this goes on here now, the whole world being seduced by this false religious system. And uh, some people believe that it's the Catholic church, that that's the actual religious system. It's way bigger than that, folks. It's not just going to be one religious system. It's going to be multiple religious systems probably that are, you know, kind of integrated in just like is happening right now. So the, the, the Antichrist is going to um, be the facilitator of this religious system. He's going to be the, the one that is, the, he's going to be the salesman. And he's going to say, yeah, this is the right thing and all these sorts of things. And, you know, we, this is the right religion. Everybody should adopt this and w- the world will be the way it's supposed to be. 
John goes on to note something else here. He says, the woman was sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns. Just to refresh your memory, the beast, this beast is the same beast that we saw in Revelation chapter 13 and it is speaking about two things, not just one, not just the Antichrist, although it is speaking about the Antichrist, but it's also talking about the, the kingdom of Babylon coming with the Antichrist. His kingdom, it's speaking of his kingdom and uh, about the Antichrist himself. Notice that it also says that this great prostitute will be arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels of pearls. Again, the idea is that this religious system will be luxurious and it will be desirable for the world. They'll be able to move into this, uh, this religious system with, with unity and embrace it. Not only that, but this religious system will be full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. If you go back and you read in the Bible, even the New Testament, all idol worship, all false worship is associated with some sort of sexual uh, you know, acts or rituals or something like that. There's, there's always something in that involved in that. There will be something in, like that involved in this. I don't know how that works, but, but, but there will be abominable things happening. You know, and, uh, and, and it will not surprise me because, again, the, the things that are, the, 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 the people that are keeping sort of the morality of our, and again, we're so Western, we think about America. The things that are keeping every place the way they are is Christians. You know, if you, if you go into Europe and see how, how immoral they've become, it's because there's no Christians. All the, I mean, if you go into these churches where Spurgeon taught and all these, you know, on a Sunday morning, there's like 25 people. I, I remember reading, a, when I was traveling for my job, I was reading an article in the USA Today when I was traveling over to Europe, and the headline was, Is God Dead in Europe? And then the article went on to say, I think America's headed the same way, 2008. And you know what? We are. And so, you know, that, that brings a culture of, of sexual immorality, folks, and we see it already, but we see it all over the world. Um, and it, uh, not only does he see this, but then on verse five, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. It's interesting, uh, back in John's day, the, the harlots that would walk on the streets would wear a headband that would have their name written above their brow. And so people would know their name. And, and here, it's like God is using, you know, an illustration that John would be familiar with. Oh, yeah, that's like the prostitutes in Rome. Yeah, okay, you know, the name written on the forehead kind of thing. Uh, and and her, she's called by a multiple of titles here. She's, she's called mystery, which is, is, is to be concealed and intriguing, right? Babylon the Great, which links her with a rebellious spirit uh, to ancient Babylon. The mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Again, insinuating that um, the religious system itself is a prostitute, but also a madam that will produce more of those. You know, that, the, that's the idea. She will be drunk on, their, on, the, on the, the blood of the martyrs and those who follow Jesus during this time. She will, be, uh, she will be drunk on the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. There will be no tolerance for Jesus in this culture. No tolerance for Jesus whatsoever. So th this is the kind of system that, that's coming. Um, this brings us to uh, the next section, which we find the explanation of the great prostitute in verse seven. 
uh, the, it goes on to say, but the angel said to him, to me, why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit to go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel at the beast because it was and it is not and it is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads of seven mountains on which the woman is seated, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction." And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for an hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And, who, and those uh, with him are called and chosen and faithful, and then uh, look at verse 18. It goes on to say, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So, that, so John now has not just an expose of this religious system that's coming, but now he has the explanation of the imagery that he's seen. He doesn't understand all of this. Like Now this angel's going to break it down for him. Like What are all of these things meaning? He does understand some of them because he's seen them already. But now he's going he's gonna to get a full grasp. Notice it says he's marveling. Like he's astonished. He did, he's like, what, does, what is all of this? And uh, it, it's, it's God is so faithful to give us clarity when we need clarity. And to give us understanding when we need understanding. If, and, and the Bible says if we seek him, we'll find him. You know, he, he's not a God of confusion. He wants us to understand these things. This is called the revelation, not the concealing the revealing, not the concealing. He's trying to help us to understand these things because with, with understanding and knowledge uh, comes boldness. With understanding and knowledge, when we don't understand something, it, it can produce fear. God is not the author of fear. So he wants us to understand this stuff. And so now we have an explanation of what all this is. John has been given a sort of a backstage pass to this false religious system and now he will be given a full explanation of what it all means. The mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns. We know the beast, again, represents both the kingdom of Babylon and the Antichrist. They are the source. They're the, they're, they're, that is, the, that is the, the woman is riding on the back of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist at this point isn't the center of the world, the the, the religious system coming has precedence over the beast at this point. The focus is on the woman, not the beast. So the Antichrist is, 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 is you know, bringing into adoption this religious system, pointing people to this religious system. It's so like Satan to point us to something that will eventually lead us exactly to him. It's so brilliant. It's, it's just a progressive step. He's so patient in coming after us, folks. It's just one step after another. But here's the thing is, all of it, all of it falls under the, the, the label of God being in control. 
God is, God is working out all of this stuff. But this woman is riding on the back of the beast. And so the woman is exalted. The false religious system is coming into play. Um, and notice it says uh, that this, this woman, uh, the identification of this woman is not just a religious system, but also it ties it in verse 18 to the, to the great city, which is Babylon. So again, that is going to be the epicenter of the false religious system of the day. Uh, I think of physical Babylon. The beast that John saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit to go to destruction. Again, this is speaking specifically of, of the kingdom of Babylon. The kingdom of Babylon was and is not presently, but will come again one day. It will rise. The, the physical Babylon will rise again. But also, it's speaking about the Antichrist. In particular, um, you know, I... I, I reference you back to Revelation chapter 13 verse 3 when remember the Antichrist was given the beast was given a mortal wound that was healed remember the mortal wound that was healed and we talked about that it's probably whether it was a a true assassination and and the the you know, the Antichrist dies and then the false prophet rises him from the dead or whether it was staged and that's how it made it look so that but what we know is the whole world flocks to this now because, because the Antichrist was and was not and then is again. So he rose again from, from the dead. And, uh, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the beast itself, the kingdom, the person, they both fit the bill. So you can kind of pick your, you know, what it is. I think it's probably speaking of the Antichrist there. But when it says that all unbelievers will marvel when they see that. And there's no question you would marvel if you saw that. If you saw somebody who, well, I mean, we, we hear the stories, right? I mean, people die and then they say, oh, I was dead and then I came back to life and we're like, whoa, that's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, do, do you know what? That's gonna happen to you one day. The Lord, you're gonna, if, you, if the Lord didn't come back, you're gonna die and you're gonna raise again from the dead one day because of Jesus. Amazing truth, but um, John goes on here and he talks about in, in verse nine, the, the, the angel says, this is a call for the mind of wisdom. Need wisdom to understand this. And then he goes on to give definition here. The seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Many consider this to be uh, Rome, the, the kingdom of Rome here. And that's why they link the Catholic church with with the, the end, you know, and it, it being the, the, the Pope being the Antichrist and all of that kind of stuff. And it could be, I mean, some of that stuff is, you know, talk, it goes on to talk about seven kings, five were and then one is and then one to come. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and it could be talking about the kings of Rome, you know, uh, the emperors of Rome, you know. I don't think so, though. I, I think it's literally speaking about the, um, about the seven kingdoms that exist, in, that will only exist in the world, the, the, the seven main kingdoms in the world, five of them have already existed, and you, you know what they are, because we talked about them, you know, we're talking about Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. This is linking us back to Daniel chapter 2, and also uh, Daniel chapter 7, where he's given those visions. So there were seven kingdoms that he talked about, Five of them were, you know, th- this is how the, the degradation of Babylon was going to occur. Babylon, Babylon would be toppled by Medo-Persia, would be toppled by uh, the, the Grecians, and then the Grecians would be toppled by Rome. 
So five of them have existed already. I already named them. But then he goes on to say one is currently. And remember in John's day, the kingdom that existed was Rome. He was under Roman rule. Uh, and then one is to come. And that will be a revived Roman empire. Verse 11, as for the beast that was and was not, listen to this. It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh and, is to go, and it goes to destruction. So the Antichrist is part of the seven, but it becomes the eighth. It becomes, uh, you know, what happens is the, the, the Antichrist partway in the beginning of the tribulation period is sort of in unison with other kings and such. And so there's, there's sort of this, the, the, the power is not just one person. It's more of a, a team of people. It's a council or, or something of like that. But there comes a point midway through the tribulation period where, where the Antichrist becomes a dictator. He becomes a dictator. That doesn't happen until probably midway through the tribulation period. And that's what this is speaking about. He was the seventh, but he'll become the eighth. Like he will, he will rise up. And in fact, in Daniel's um, prophecy, he talks about 10 horns and then the little horn rising up, the 11th. That is the Antichrist. So that's kind of what's going on here. He's talking about these things. Uh, notice the, uh, the, the unit, the, he goes on here to say, um, they will be of one mind, speaking about these 10, the, the 10 horns here, the 10, 10 kingdom confederacy that will exist, that exists right now, by the way, in Europe. It's already put together. We don't know who they are because people are leaving and coming through the EU and all that kind of stuff, but, but it's, it's gonna be something like that. Uh, all of these leaders will be of one mind and they will hand, listen, their power and authority over to the beast, and they will all unite to make war on the lamb who is Jesus. So at some point, all of these kings yield their power to the Antichrist, he becomes a dictator, and then they, in, in unity, all stand against Christ, which will be no battle at all, like I talked about last week. Be no battle at all. The Lord is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No one can stand against him, man. You know, and, and it, it won't be a, challenge at all for the Lord. He'll, he'll slay the world with a word. Sometimes, you know, we, we can, uh, we wonder, hey, where are we going to be when all that happens? Well, guess what? You're written in the Bible right here. Did you catch the, the phrase there in verse 14, and those with him? So Jesus is going to come, but there's going to be people coming with him. Who is those coming with him? It's you and me, the church who's been raptured out. All of heaven will come with Jesus, not to help him because he doesn't need our help, the angels won't help Jesus. Jesus will literally, a sword will come from his mouth and he will slay the world with a word. That's how that will go. It's not a battle. It's just a slaughter of Jesus just slaying the world. But the, the Christ-rejecting world who he's given, you know, ample time to come to Christ and many, many, many opportunities. But people won't do it. It just shocked me last week when we read over and over, they would not repent. Or they did not repent. They did not repent. That is the sadness, man. Don't ever let your heart get so hard that you can't find a place to repent of the, of the things that you've done, man. That's such a sad place to be. Um, but, but those with him, that's you and me. This is the church that's being spoken of here. We're coming with Christ. We're gonna rule and reign with Christ. Uh, I, I love the definitions here. Notice, first of all and foremost, he says those that come with him, they're called you know, the word of God says that no one can come to the Father unless he's drawn. The Lord calls us to himself. And, you know, you can hear the call and you can reject the call, but he's calling. 
If you're not in a relationship with Christ, he's been knocking on your heart. You're here this morning. He's saying, hey, I'm calling once again. But that knock will go away eventually. Or it will become so light that you can't hear it at all. Don't harden your heart against the Lord. If he's calling you, answer the call. Not only that, but also we're chosen. You know, the Lord was thinking about you and I from the foundation of the world. Before uh, anything was created, he knew you by name. He knew every hair on your head or the lack thereof. He knew everything about you. He knew every deed that you would do. He knew every failure you would fall in. He, he knew every trap that you would succumb to. And even, some of, even many of those things very willfully. And the Lord says, I love you anyway. And, he, and he's loved you with, this, with a love that's unchanging from the foundation of the world. Even when you come to Christ, his love never changed. The only thing that changed in that, in that moment is you were reconciled to God and your destination for eternity changed. His position towards you never changed. He loves people. Even people that are gonna go to hell, he loves them so much. I don't know how that's gonna be for him to watch, to, to, to destine, you know, those who have rejected Christ to hell, but I know his love is, is, is beyond anything I can comprehend, so I don't know how he will manage that, but he's God, I'm not, so... Uh, you know, also, he, he uses the word faithful. And I love that here, the word faithful. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I could be called faithful. Well, good thing it's not up to your uh, works that that title comes. It's up to Christ and what he's done for you. So, you know, you may not feel worthy of that title, but that doesn't mean God doesn't call you that anyway. Because, uh, you know, in Christ, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You know, we, we can break our fellowship with God by sinning and, and, and leaving unrepentant sin in our lives. And, and God will discipline those whom he loves, right? He doesn't let that stuff go unnoticed. It's not punishment, it's chastisement because the Father wants us to, to grow. But, but you know, when it, when it comes to you and I falling and then getting back up and trying again and falling and getting back up again, he calls you faithful. That is faithfulness. If, it, if he didn't, if he meant something else, or if he meant perfection, he would have said perfection. But that's not what he said. He said faithful. You're faithful with the blood of Christ. You're faithful to do the things that you know to do. And when you fall, you're faithful to, to repent. So, you know, maybe you're here and you don't feel worthy of that this morning, of that title. I, I think you need to, you have a wrong view of that. And, and, and ask the Lord to share with you this morning. God, help me to be faithful. I want to be faithful. But help me receive it as well. You know, help me to receive that title as well. Um, so we considered the expose, the explanation, and now we're going to consider the eradication of the great prostitute in verse 16. He goes on to say, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into her, their hearts to carry out his um, purpose for being one of mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. This is where it gets interesting. It, you know, here we find the, the ten horns, and the, which are the ten kings that represented there. They're going to despise the false religious system that's put in place in the tribulation period. Three and a half years into the tribulation period, there, there's going to be a denunciation of the great prostitute. Not just by these ten kings, but also by the Antichrist himself. They are going to denounce spiritual Babylon themselves. 
they're going to destroy it. And at that point, Jesus tells us exactly when that's going to happen in Matthew chapter 24. He tells us in Matthew 24 verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, that's standing in the temple in Jerusalem where the Jews worship, three and a half years, halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist will break his peace covenant with Israel. That's what Jesus is referencing here. When he's standing in the holy place, then let those who are Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the, woman who are pre- for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may, be not, may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now known and never will be. And in those days had... And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist breaks his peace treaty with, with Israel. And that is when I think the spiritual Babylon is, is denounced as well. Because all eyes go on the Antichrist, the beast and the mark of the beast come in play midway through the tribulation period, and it's all about the Antichrist at that time. At that time, Satan will get worship. Satan will probably embody the Antichrist, and he will be worshiped. He will get exactly what he wants, but it's progressive. It doesn't just happen, like, immediately. You know, it's, it's over time. It's like, like this, I think maybe like a Unitarian kind of feel started the tribulation period. The Jews are worshiping in Israel. Maybe people are free to kind of worship the same God as they will term it and all, uh, kind of a Unitarian feel, but then halfway through, this, whatever this system is, it's removed because the Antichrist then takes precedence and he says, I want you to worship me. When he stands in the holy place, what he's saying is, I'm God. I'm God. You worship me. You worship no other person. I'm your God. And then the whole world will just fall headlong into that. Listen, they will make desolate, naked, and devour and burn up the prostitute. They will totally discard. They will discard the, 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 the religious system like a pimp would discard his prostitute, basically, is what, what it means. It's just a means to an end. It's just a transition that the Antichrist is using, but notice. Notice, for God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose the Lord is in control of this whole situation. Even the adoption of the spiritual Babylon and the fall of the spiritual Babylon, God is orchestrating all of this. It's all a part of, the, part of his plan. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't uh, you know, sometimes I don't understand the Lord. Like, why would you do that, Lord? Why wouldn't you do it different? He's like, Tim, I have to remind you again, your thoughts are not my thoughts. You know, you're, I know what I'm doing, just trust me, Right? The point of it is this, though. Like, I think these kinds of things are in here for you and, you and I to, to understand how really in control God is. He's in control of all of it. Which, for me, in, the, in our day and age, in the state of our country and all the things going on right now, gives me great comfort. I'm not worried one bit, folks. I don't lose a single ounce of sleep. You know why? Because God's in control. 
And, and, you know, and it's, it's not because I'm superhuman or something, but it's because I understand like the, the clarity I've gotten, even in this, you know, I've, I've studied Revelation, I've taught it before, but I have so much more clarity going through it now, and I have so much more confidence in the Lord that, you know, all of these things happening are supposed to happen, and they're, they're all coming to a point where Jesus will come back. It's all getting to that point, and we can trust the Lord in those things. The thing that he didn't tell us is it would be easy for us. He also didn't say that it wasn't going to cost you anything. He didn't say that you wouldn't um, even have to give your life up for him. You know, he, he didn't promise us any of those things. What he promised us is peace in our trials. What he promised us is that strength when we're weak. He promised that when we have feeble knees that he would lift us up. You know, he promised to be with us through these things. And so, you know, maybe here today you, you might be troubled by the things that are going on in the world today. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, get your eyes on the Lord. If you're, if you're struggling through the things that you're seeing in this culture, the economy's gonna collapse or, um, you know, whatever, the, the uh, you know, the political system's, you know, a, a sham or what, whatever it is. You know what? And that's creating fear in you or it's creating, you know, angst in you or whatever, then you have your eyes on the wrong thing. Get your eyes on the Lord. Let the Lord be your strength in these moments, you know. Listen, your 401K is going to go up and down, you know. Your bank account, you know, it's going to go up and down. The U.S. dollar value is going to go up and down. You know, the one constant is Jesus. The one constant is Jesus, and that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. We'll have perfect peace. So if that's you here today, you know, get your eyes on the Lord. He'll give you that perfect peace, and, you know, you'll go through it. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a place of perfect peace today, but tomorrow I might be fretting over something, and then you can remind me, Tim, get your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.